episode 74 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And quickly, please visit tonyoverbay.com and sign up now to be the first on the list to learn more about some exciting upcoming programs that I'm working on in the areas of parenting, communication, marriage, and much, much more. And please stop by the uh, the Virtual Couch YouTube channel and subscribe. A lot of the interviews that I've done of previous guests are up there. And you can follow me on Twitter at either Couch Virtual or at Tony Overbay and on Instagram at Virtual Couch. Some really uh, fun stuff up there on Instagram. Um, I was, uh, I was, uh, or I had Rachel Nielsen from 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms podcast on my podcast a while ago where she talked about open adoption and in vitro fertilization. And she told a story on the podcast that was truly amazing. It made, uh, made a lot of people, um, get so very emotional. My own wife had sent me a text later that day saying that it had caused her to, uh, to cry, um, on the treadmill, but, uh, a happy cry. And Rachel took the, 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 the audio from our interview and she then did a special bonus episode on her podcast of that story that she told. Um, and it was, it's really one of the best stories I think I've ever heard. And I was grateful that she told it on my show. So, um, but then she does a lot on Instagram. If you, if you're a big Instagram person, go find her podcast, three and 30 takeaways for moms or three and 30 podcast on Instagram. And there's just a lot of good discussion about that episode and about a lot of the things that Rachel shared. So, uh, but you can, you can find that at my, my Instagram account at virtual couch. And, uh, Hey, the virtual couch has been nominated for a people's choice award in the health category in the 13th annual podcast awards. So thank you to those who nominated me. So sounds like I'll know if we win or not in about a month or maybe a little bit more, um, but you can see who I'm up against in the health category at podcastawards.com. Um, again, that's in the health category, and I'm super grateful. And I want to encourage anybody who is dealing with any type of betrayal trauma to please visit bloomforwomen.com. Um, betrayal trauma is very real, and the symptoms are very similar to those of uh, PTSD. So the people who have, di- uh, who have designed the Bloom for Women site and the content on the site, they have years and years of research under their belts, and I want to assure you that there is, there is help. Um, I personally have done an extensive training in the field of betrayal trauma, and if you are experiencing the betrayal of a spouse for an affair or an emotional affair, or if you recently discovered that your partner has a pornography or addiction or, or compulsive sexual behavior, please stop by bloomforwomen.com, and you can use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, for one month free to their evidence-based information and programs. Uh, it's just an entire community of support designed to help you grow and heal. And uh, one more bit of business, if you shave any part of your body, head, face, shave, uh, head, face legs, arms, chest, uh, the top of your feet, um, your toes, anywhere, male or female, I would encourage you to check out Eli's Extracts, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com. Eli's Extracts is an all-natural organic shave cream scented with essential oils. Um, visit Eli's Extracts, Eli's-Extracts.com, and use coupon code VIRTUALCOUCH for 25% off your entire order of their incredible, soothing, healing, wonderfully smelling shave creams. All right, uh, let's get on to the topic of the day. Uh, on this podcast, I want to talk a little, about, a little bit about listening, and I think there's some pretty funny things here. Chances are that you think that you are a pretty good listener. There's a, I found a fantastic article from the Harvard Business Review by Jack Zinger and Joseph Folkman. It's called What Great Listeners Actually Do. 
Um, But they start the article off by saying people's appraisal of their listening ability is much like their assessment of their driving skills and that the great bulk of adults think that they are above average. And uh, it's funny when I when I heard that, I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely above average as far as a driver goes. And I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say, you know, I'm a pretty crummy driver. And so it's funny to think that uh, most people think the same way about their listening skills, that uh, they do believe that they are good listeners. Um, but what these uh, researchers say, Zinger and Folkman say that in, in their experience, most people think good listening comes down to doing these three things. And I totally agree with this. They, they, they have narrowed it down that most people feel like they are good listeners if they are, number one, not talking when others are speaking. Number two, letting other know, others know that you're listening through facial expressions and verbal sounds like, uh-huh. And I love it. I, I used to, uh, for about 10 years, I would go to Japan about three or four times a year in my former life as a, uh, as a software executive. And they had a, they had a thing where they would just go, hi, hi. And I remember the first few times there asking my uh, Japanese business partner, Yoshida-san, um, hey, why is everybody just like saying hi to each other so much? And he, he didn't understand what I said and, or what I was kind of getting at. And then if you kind of watch the interactions and when people are speaking back and forth, uh, speaking Japanese, it's almost as if the height is just like, I'm, I'm tracking. I get you. I follow you. And so there's a lot of uh, the, the person speaking is speaking and the person listening is height. Height. And I think for quite a while, I annoyed my wife where I would just say height when she was talking the entire time. But it's, uh, but that is a way of letting someone know that you are listening. So I don't know, in America, maybe we, we just go, uh huh, uh huh, right, right, you know, those kind of things. Um, and then also, uh, these guys have identified that being able to repeat what others have said practically word for word. So think about that. Do you kind of feel like you're a good listener if you don't talk? If you go, uh huh. And if you're able to say, right, I hear you, you're saying that you are extremely annoyed with the way that I uh, put the toilet paper on the roll um, under, because obviously we all know that it goes over. And, and in fact, uh, what, what uh, these guys talk about is much management advice on listening suggests doing these very things. You're quiet, you nod, mm-hmm, you know, encouragingly, and then you repeat back uh, to the listener. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, especially on couples communication, that reflective listening skill is a skill. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to have, but is it really getting to the heart of the matter? Are you really understanding what your partner is saying? So um, these guys said they analyzed data describing the behavior of 3,492 participants in a development program designed to help managers become better coaches. And as part of this, they viewed all kinds of uh, things as part of this assessment, and they were able to identify very clearly um, as those being the most effective listeners, the top 5%. And, and here's the, and I love how they say this. It backs, it backs me up as a marriage therapist. It really does. And it backs up these concepts of it, the, what I love, emotionally focused therapy, EFT. They say, we found some surprising conclusions, and we grouped them into four main findings. Number one. Good listening is much more than being silent while the other person talks. It says, to the contrary, people perceive the best listeners to be those who periodically ask questions that promote discovery and insight. These questions gently challenge old assumptions, but do so in a constructive way. Sitting there silently nodding does not provide sure evidence that a person is listening, but asking a good question tells the speaker that the listener has not only heard what they said, but that they comprehend it well enough to want additional information. Good listening was consistently seen as a two-way dialogue rather than a one-way speaker versus hear interaction. So the best conversations were active. So imagine that. So first of all, it's not just sitting there um, going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I hear you. Because in those scenarios, oftentimes what the person who is listening is doing is waiting for their turn to respond. 
They also pointed out good listening included interactions that build a person's self-esteem. I love this. The best listeners made the conversation a positive experience for the other party, which doesn't happen when the listener is passive. And this is what I love. They say, or for that matter, critical. So imagine that. I live in this world of trying to avoid these fixing and judgment statements. So when someone is talking and the listener, first of all, is just they're, they're being quiet and they might even be going, uh-huh, uh-huh. But then when they respond and they respond critically, and the critically, I believe that's a, I can't believe you thought that, you know, or, or wait, what, am, what are you telling me? You know, these passive aggressive tones or these fixing and judgment tones, um, the, these guys point out, good listeners made the other person feel supported and conveyed confidence in them. Good listening was characterized by the creation of a safe environment, which issues and differences could be discussed openly. Uh, what I like to call productive communication. So again, a good listener is is they're all in. They're listening empathetically. Um, their next point speaks to that. Good listening was seen as cooperative conversation. And these interactions feedback flowed smoothly in both directions here we go. Neither party becoming defensive about comments the other made. By contrast, poor listeners were seen as competitive, as listening only to identify errors in reasoning or logic. I mean, just listen to that. How many times in a, I mean, I see it all the time on my couch where somebody, I say, okay, let's go into this world of EFT, emotionally focused therapy. Um, one of the partners in the room is going to, is going to share their feelings and it's their emotional bid. This is their heart they are handing over. This is, is the combination of all of the baggage they bring into that room at that moment. Um, how they, how they've kind of interacted with their partner in the past, the way that their parents maybe interacted with them, the way their work colleagues interact with them, their experiences growing up that have brought them to that point and how they perceive their, their marriage, their parenting skills, the world around them. And then, you know, hearing their, hearing their, uh, partner, um, i.e., maybe a poor listener seen as competitive, only wanting to identify errors and reasoning or logic. So, you know, here, here, you put out your emotional bid and your partner then responds trying to say, identify errors or reasoning or logic or like, well, wait a minute. You said earlier this or, well, you know, it, well, you've said this before, so I don't know why you're saying this now. And so those are trying to identify errors or reasoning and logic, using the silence as a chance to prepare their next response. So, and I, this is the, the best, I love this phrase. They say next, that might make you an excellent debater, but it doesn't make you a good listener. And I'm telling you, in my dojo of the couples counseling session in my office, um, guess what? The, the debaters, uh, that is not a healthy relationship. It's just not. The debaters, not a healthy relationship. The person who is going to shut the other person down, not a healthy relationship. If you are saying that this is your experience, your emotional bid, and your partner is really adept at turning that against you, um, you know, in some of the episodes we've done on narcissism, it's that phrase of gaslighting, where if by the end of that conversation, you are meant to feel, you know, you feel like you shouldn't have never brought anything up, or you actually feel dumb, or your partner has kind of turned it around on you. That is not healthy, not productive conversation. There is not good listening going on at that point. Um, let me kind of skip down here a little bit, and then I want to get to a few more of the thoughts that I have. It says, while many of us have thought of being a good listener, like being a sponge that accurately absorbs what the other person is saying, instead we're finding that uh, good listeners are like trampolines. I thought that was kind of fun. I always enjoyed a trampoline as a kid. 
They are someone you can bounce ideas off of, and rather than absorbing your ideas and energy, they amplify, energize, and clarify your thinking. In my world, they edify. When you are having a conversation with your partner, your spouse, your kid, anyone, and it's a productive conversation, if you feel like it's a safe place to express your emotional bid, and that partner is is listening. They are truly listening, and they are listening with empathy. They're asking questions. They want to know more about you. They're not just absorbing your ideas and trying to um, point out errors in your logic or judgment. Then that's where they learn more about you. You feel heard. Now they get to share their thoughts, their ideas, their truths. Then And you then have grown together. The conversation doesn't just turn into a, hey, let me kind of share my thoughts, which is, you know, a great place to start. But it turns into I share my thoughts. My partner knows more about me. They, they then share their thoughts. I know more about them. And now we have this overall raising the, the level of awareness and connection between us. And that's when things really start to be amazing. They make you feel better, um, not merely just passively absorbing the information, but by actively supporting. And this lets you gain energy and height. I love how these guys say, just like somebody jumping on a trampoline and uh, Tony's quick ADD moment. I do remember as a kid growing up, though, and playing that game where you would try to steal the other person's jump on the trampoline. So I almost feel like that. That is the, uh, if you're on the trampoline with, let's say, a narcissist, um, that's all they're trying to do the whole time. Steal your jump and then tell you, hey, you're not even very good on the trampoline, right? So we want somebody that is actually doing that thing where they uh, they time it right and then they bounce you so high that you kind of start flailing your arms a little bit and you kind of freak out. Um, but of course, there are different levels of listening. Uh, the and I keep saying they, the but the authors of this article were fantastic: Jack Singer and Joseph Folkman. Again, this is in the Harvard Business Review. What great listeners actually do? They have uh, then kind of come down to these different levels. They say, consider which level of listening you'd like to aim for. Level one: the listener creates a safe environment in which difficult, complex, or emotional issues can be discussed. So, safe environment, difficult, complex, or emotional issues can be discussed. That's my goal, where we can discuss basically anything. And in the world of EFT, it is it happens. And if that's not happening in your relationship, in your marriage, um, please seek out help. If you try to put out emotional bids and your partner tells you that you're crazy or why did you think that or they turn it around on you, if it's your birthday, for example, and you, you know, uh, you, you come in saying, hey, I thought we could do this. And the person then turns it around and makes it about them. Um, not, not healthy, not productive conversation. So we want to get in a, a spot where we can share our truths and the other person can, even if they had something planned, they can say, okay, um, tell me where you're coming from with that. I'm all in. Then, you know, you are my person. I want to hear, uh, where you're coming from and I'm not going to shut you down. I'm not going to try to fix or judge. I want to hear, and then I will share my truths as well. So that's level one, creating a safe environment. Level two, the listener clears away distractions like phones and laptop, focusing attention on the other person and making appropriate eye contact. And this even talks about that this behavior not only affects how you're perceived as a listener, but it immediately influences the listener's own attitudes and inner feelings. Acting the part changes how you feel inside, and this in turn makes you a better listener. And I 100% believe this. I remember it's been two or three years now where I just felt like I was doing that thing where if I'm on my phone or if I'm writing on my computer and my kid comes up to me and I really feel, I mean, I try hard to be a good dad. I want you to know I felt like this calling to be a dad since I was a teenager, you know, and I couldn't wait. And so I, I don't want to blow it. And so I would have these moments where um, if my kids come to me and they have a question or whatever, that you bet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause whatever I'm doing and I'm going to kind of look over to them. But I felt like, okay, you know what? I need to, I need to turn the device off. I need to set the device down and I need to turn to them. And I love how that points that. 
making appropriate eye contact. And it doesn't, and, you know, not only affects the, the person that you're talking to, but it helps me go, look, I'm, I'm all in, you know, I want to hear what this person says. Um, acting the part makes, uh, changes how you feel inside, which makes you a better listener. And level three listener, they say this listener seeks to understand the substance of what the other person is saying. They capture ideas. They ask questions and restate issues to confirm that their understanding is correct. So that is active listening. And it's not just this reflective listening. There's a difference in reflective listening and just kind of mimicking something back, being a parrot and active listening, seeking better to understand. You actively listen when you show empathy, when you want to know where the person's coming from. Um, I think I, the episode I did a week or two ago where I, I talked about, tell me more about that. You really want to get in the habit of wanting to know more of where the person's coming from, turning off that fixing and judgment statement. This is a good one too. Level four listener observes nonverbal cues such as facial expressions, perspiration, respiration rates, gestures, posture, and numerous other subtle body language signals. Uh, they go on to say it's estimated that almost 80% of what we communicate comes from these signals. And it sounds strange to some, but you listen with your eyes as well as your ears. And so when I'm getting in the, the, deep, uh, the deep woods of EFT, the tall grass, and couples are starting to get really good at it, or even at the very beginning. As a matter of fact, I had a, a couple of a couple of weeks ago where they loved the concept, but I kind of couldn't stop either one of them from just rolling their eyes. And, you know, so it was, you know, they were willing to let the other person put out the emotional bid, but they wanted to make sure and let me catch this eye roll to be like, okay, I'm willing to listen, but man, you know, can you get a load of this? And man, I, I have to always say, I'm going to be a little annoying at first when I'm, when I'm working with a couple and we're laying out these EFT strategies of, of letting somebody put out their emotional bid, their truth, and then uh, making sure the other person's listening, listening empathetically and, uh, and not um, putting off these nonverbal cues, these eye rolls, those sort of things. And watch for it when you're talking with your kids, your teenagers, that sort of thing too. Uh, they pick up on that stuff. And I mean, listen, 80% of what we communicate comes from these nonverbal cues. So please be aware of that. And uh, level five listener, the listener increasingly understands the other person's emotions and feelings about the topic at hand, identifies and acknowledges them. The listener empathizes, there it is, and, and validates the feelings in a supportive, non-judgmental way. That level five listener, I couldn't have wrote it better myself. The listener increasingly understands the other person's emotions and feelings about the topic at hand and identifies and acknowledges them. The listener empathizes with and validates those feelings in a supportive, non-judgmental way. And then they have a level six listener. The listener asks questions that clarify assumptions the other person holds. I love that. Clarifies assumptions and helps the other person to see the issue in a new light. This could include the listener injecting some thoughts and ideas about the topic that could be useful to the other person. However, good listeners never hijack the conversation so that they or their issues become subject of the discussion. I love it. This was from Harvard Business Review. And it's a, and it, it is about, um, it's about listening. It's about what great listeners actually do. I'll link to that in the show notes of this. But uh, uh, thank you, Jack Zinger and Joseph Folkman, for uh, doing a little re research around how to communicate better in business and then hitting the nail right on the head as far as um, how to communicate better in general. So uh, I, I actually didn't mean to go on on about that uh, article. I was going to touch on a few things because what I wanted to get with is, is the title of the podcast most likely says, because <laughs> I will uh, do that after the fact. Is that in my world, I like to say it comes from the seek first to understand before being understood. And a little bit of a story, and if you've listened to some podcasts in the past, I've probably told this one before. Matter of fact, I know I have. 
But this is so true. So as I was really starting to get a deep dive on emotionally focused therapy, as I was really starting to feel passionate about it and seeing it just work and work and work. And again, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, uh, please Google emotionally focused therapy or emotionally focused couples therapy. It was pioneered by a Canadian psychologist named Sue Johnson, and it is an evidence-based way to just improve communication. And I have to tell you as well, I had a situation recently where um, someone I had worked with a long time ago was coming back to me this time in a couple's scenario, and they were they were wonderful. They were worried about that uh, my working with them in the past might be provide a little bit of bias in the couple's, um, the couple's therapy. But I had to explain to them that in this uh, emotionally focused couple's therapy, this EFT model, we're really talking about a framework. So as a couple's therapist, I'm helping them understand this framework of communication. The framework being that when one of the people, one of the people in the relationship puts out this emotional bid, when they say this is what they're feeling, this is what's important to them, this is what they're thinking, that it's the other person, the receiver of the information, their only job is to have empathy and to want to know more of where their partner's coming from. There is nothing productive about shutting that person down, telling that person that's ridiculous, trying to uh, fix that person by telling them, you know, I, 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 why would you think that? Why wouldn't you just do this? So again, the EFT model is, is beautiful because it sets up this framework of just productive communication. So in this scenario that I was talking about, I was, I was saying, hey, I hear you. And if at any point this couple feels like the, the sessions are, you know, um, being one-sided or that sort of thing, let me know, please. But when we lay out this EFT framework, um, at that point, it's just beautiful because then the couple can talk about anything. You can literally EFT anything. Here is a silly yet realistic example of that. Um, I have made it known a few times on my podcast that I enjoy a bowl of ice cream at night. Now, I have gotten much better about not having that be my go-to each and every night of my life. But when, uh, when I was newly married, it was the same every night. It was, uh, it was vanilla bean, and then I would mix it up, and then I would throw some little chocolate chips in it, and that was literally what I would, that was my nighttime snack, and I loved it. And I'm talking for years. And I remember at one point I said to my wife, Man, if I ever do anything different, you better watch out because that means that uh, that something's something big's going on in my life. There's some sort of change. So apparently, I say that, and it's kind of filed away in my wife's memory. So fast forward about a decade, and all of a sudden, you know, I think in a pinch one night, we buy a tub that has vanilla and chocolate. So I throw a little vanilla in there, a little chocolate in the bowl, kind of mix it up like normal, put the little chocolate chips in, and I think to myself, "Man, this is good." So then, you know, my wife, uh, and, and again, a little bit facetious here, but she says. Uh, Hey, what are you doing there? You know what I'm saying? Just have my ice cream. And she's like, should I be worried? And I, and I say, I wouldn't see why, seeing as how I've had my ice cream every night of my life, or at least for about the last 15 years of our marriage. And uh, then she points out to me, she's like, hey, you said a long time ago that if you ever venture away from that just vanilla bean and chocolate chips, that I should be worried, you know, or, you know, are you, uh, you, you're okay, you're starting a midlife crisis or whatever. And so, you know, it was this concept where, honestly, I mean, you know, that's a silly example of something where if I had just been going on and just going on, oh, this vanilla and chocolate's amazing, and I, why didn't I do this before? And uh, even she had never brought that to my attention. And, and she's kind of thinking, man, okay, uh, something's wrong, something's different here, something's changed. 
you know, then that could over time build up resentment. And meanwhile, I don't even know that uh, that I had even uttered that 15 years ago or that that was something that was significant. Again, I want you to know that's a, that's a pretty lighthearted example, but I hope you can understand the concept where there can be the, the smallest things. And, and I'm, I've had those things in session where someone has kind of mentioned something, you know, 10 years earlier in a, in a marriage and they've done it semi offhand or on a vacation or in a moment. And then a partner hears that and then they've kind of hung on to that and they haven't brought that up. And so then whenever their, their partner who had, had put out this, uh, this comment over time, you know, they might not have even remembered it. They might have now acted completely different or contrary to the comment that they had made. Meanwhile, they've got a partner who had heard that comment, who's been hanging on to that comment for 10 years, thinking that, you know, something's gone wrong. So in the world of EFT, it is really about expressing these emotional bids. So back to this true story. Seek first to understand before being understood. Uh, here's me being vulnerable. I thought it was a Bible verse. I mean, it sounds so good. Um, and, you know, and I've been an active uh, tender of church for many, many years now. Uh, didn't really grow up with a lot of uh, religious um, background. So, uh, you know, maybe hasn't necessarily been my strong suit of being able to memorize biblical verses. But doesn't that sound good, though? Seek first to understand before being understood. I think I literally went about a year where I even got so confident as I was really going um, big on the concept of EFT that I would tell people, hey, it's like it said in the Bible. I think at one point I even said, I even narrowed it down. It ah, probably sounds like it's New Testament. And I got to guess that maybe the Apostle Paul said it. So I think for a little while I might have even said, you know, I think it was the Apostle Paul that said, you know, seek first, understand before being understood. The part that I loved was where a lot of people like, oh, I love that verse, you know, when people would say that, right? Um, but uh, it's not. It actually comes from Stephen Covey. In his, uh, in his wonderful book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, I did have a good friend point out that St. Francis of Assisi's famous prayer of St. Francis does say the following, O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So I love that. There's that concept of grant that I may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. So there is that concept from the prayer of St. Francis. And uh, I had other people point out as well that there's some, uh, some pretty close um, the, in the Bible. I think the book of Proverbs had some identical advice before St. Francis ever penned his prayer. I think it was Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. And earlier in the same chapter, there's a, someone who'd rather talk than listen. I think it says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. That's kind of funny, a fool. And in the New Testament, it's in James, I think it's 119, says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So a little bit of uh, biblical reference there for something that I thought was um, there the entire time. But so seeking first to understand, it does involve a pretty deep shift in a paradigm. And so this is what comes actually from Stephen R. Covey's book. Uh, I just want to share a little bit of a quote here. It says, seek first to understand. Uh, again, involves a very deep shift in paradigm. We typically seek first to be understood. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. So kind of what we talked about in that article, right? They listen with the intent to reply. How often are you listening with the intent to reply? They're either speaking or they're preparing to speak. 
Um, and, and I go back to literally the first day of grad school when I was going back to school to become a therapist. They partnered us up um, with with people, <laughs> hence the phrase partner. And we were told to uh, we spoke for one minute and the other person was supposed to actively listen. And then in turn, then they would speak for a minute and we were supposed to actively listen. The, the goal being that at first there wasn't a whole lot of direction given other than that. And what we were learning was... Uh, how hard it is, and because, you know, they're kind of given a little glimpse of where we're trying to get to as therapists, but how hard it is to not want to just reply back with a story or, uh, oh, I know exactly what you're going through, you know, and, and I have heard some pretty wild examples of that. And, I, and I'm really not making this up, but uh, a couple of times in particular where um, maybe a close family member has, has passed, there's been a death in a family. And um, one person in particular telling me after their, uh, their mother had passed away, that, uh, you know, they're talking to somebody and the person just says, hey, I know what you're going through. You know, I had an aunt die a long time ago, you know, and it's like, yeah, let's just kind of stay in there and listen. We don't have to try to reply or come back with the story. So back to Stephen R. Covey's book, he says they're filtering everything through their own paradigm, reading. And this is such a great line next reading their autobiography into other people's lives. If they have a problem with someone, a son, a daughter, a spouse, an employee, their attitude is that person just doesn't understand. So how often are we doing, <clears throat> excuse me, how often are we doing that? How often are we reading our autobiography into other people's lives? When someone wants to talk about their weekend or express maybe something that has happened in their lives, you know, are they coming to us saying, hey, I want to share something, but I really want you to cut me off about halfway through. And then I want you to just take over and tell me a very long story about something from your life um, that isn't necessarily applicable. I don't think that's our goal. I don't think that's what we're trying to get to. So I just want to hopefully bring some awareness to your conversations today. I would love for you to, to notice when you stop listening and when you begin trying to come up with a response and then when you try to respond. I mean, I would love for that to be uh, maybe a goal after listening to this podcast today of, of just starting to, to be more aware of what type of a listener you are. I have to throw this in here. Um, do your best not to be a one-upper. And, and I love this concept comes up in therapy a lot too. If you really think about what's happening a lot in this, uh, in this kind of maybe unproductive type of listening is the person that you're, when you go to express something, when you're kind of sharing your truth, when you're sharing your vulnerability and let's kind of step outside of the, when somebody is just, just straight up fixing and judging and, and kind of shutting us down. So unfortunately some of the conversations or communication patterns I see in my office that come from couples or when I'm uh, working with maybe a parent and a teen. So let's take that out of it. But if you're just having a conversation with somebody at the office or somebody at, uh, at, at church or at, uh, at the store, and uh, watch, be aware of, are you being a one-upper? I was with a friend, this was years ago, so this will not rat anyone out, but I was with a friend who had pointed out that another person that we were going to be talking to was a one-upper. And I really, I, I understood the concept, but I wasn't exactly sure what that would look like. So he said, trust me, watch this. So we get around this person and he asked me, uh, my friend said, he asked me about how one of my daughters had done in a, in a high school cross-country race. And at that time, uh, my daughter was placing pretty high in some local high school cross-country events. And I believe this was one of the sub subsectionals or sectional events in cross-country. So I shared the results and talked about how excited I was for her. And my friend's friend, who was kind of just there observing or just kind of standing around, he immediately like broke into a story about somebody they once knew who had a daughter who was uh, good enough to run in college. So I was like, okay. Um, so then my friend asked me about, and I remember this so well, I can remember where we were, um, and uh, then my friend asked me about a particular ultramarathon that I had run. 
So this was a uh, 100-mile race in particular that um, it's this 100-miler that I try to get into every year. It's one that's local. It's uh, it wants the Western States 100-miler, and I just love this race, Super Bowl of all hundreds. So I had just competed in this race, and it had been about a month, and I was well-recovered at that point. And so uh, my friend then asked me to kind of talk about this ultramarathon. And so I start sharing a little bit about what that was like, and uh, his friend and, and it was pretty pretty fascinating. It was almost like the guy didn't say anything for a while. And then he shared a story of somebody that he had grown up with or gone to high school with maybe 30 or 40 years earlier that had been a, uh, you know, had ran an Olympic qualifying marathon time. So apparently this guy was really fast and had ran a bunch of marathons. So, you know, this friend couldn't come up with anybody else who had run 100 mile races. So he had to go with somebody who was really, really fast. So at the end of that conversation, um, not that I was looking to get an award for my daughter or myself for my ultramarathon running, but it was just pretty funny that there wasn't any connection necessarily built between uh, myself and my friend's friend. That, And if anything, I just kind of felt like the guy was saying, hey, uh, those things aren't very impressive. I've known people that have done things that are very impressive. So, you know, what happens then uh, subconsciously or consciously is the thought that when this guy told me a story, that's the part that I'm kind of curious about was, you know, was the theory there that then I would like him more because he, you know, he knew somebody that was fast. So um, I, I think that's maybe something that we can just kind of be more aware of, uh, just kind of bring a little more attention to. So I want you to think about that today as, as you kind of leave, you're finishing up listening to this podcast. We've learned a lot about what great listeners actually do. And so what type of listener are you? Are you one who previously just felt like as long as I'm being quiet and I'm nodding and agreeing and then I'm just parroting back what someone says, then I'm a good listener. I want you to kind of look at, let's step that up a little bit. Let's become the type of listener that, again, is going all in with empathy, that is seeking first to understand before being understood. There's a pretty big concept that I get to a lot in, in counseling where a lot of times we get so fixated on wanting to tell our story, uh, wanting to kind of add our two cents into a conversation that, again, we tune out what the person in front of us is saying. But oftentimes, if we are all in with empathy and we understand where the person's coming from and why they're putting out this emotional bid, why they're feeling vulnerable enough to share that bit of their heart with us, Oftentimes, our desire or need to kind of share some just anecdote to kind of say, hey, well, look at what I've done, it kind of melts away. And, and I feel like that, that really does feel good. Uh, I could not find the research, so I don't know if this is just one of those um, pop psychology views. But, uh, but I remember hearing at a training long ago this concept where, you know, we're so desperate to want to get out our story to, to get our own validation and it was talking about kind of measuring what it feels like to kind of put out your story. So let's say that you're listening and somebody puts out their emotional bid. They've just kind of shared a little bit of their heart with you. And then uh, and you've been waiting and just waiting to tell your story about how you've done something similar or, you know, somebody who has done something similar. So after you then throw that out, now we've got two things that just happened. And, I, and again, I wish I could find this research, but it kind of talked about how the person who would put out the emotional bid obviously feels like okay, that just was a dud. That kind of laid flat. I shared this emotional vulnerability with somebody and they didn't, you know, they really didn't empathize or, or ask more questions, try to validate. Instead, they just threw out the story that they had. And though, so now you look at the person who just threw the story out, you know, in, in, in back to the, the person who had thrown out the emotional bit. That was very confusing. The person who was listening, who then uh, just throws out this, uh, oh yeah, well, here's what I've done or here's my story. Now, that person kind of leaves feeling like, well, that didn't really quite get me the, 
um, the bump of excitement that I was looking for either. So now you have person who put out emotional bid kind of feeling like, eh, that didn't go so well. And then person who was in theory listening, who then threw out, well, here's my story. And, and that didn't really connect with the person who had been putting out the emotional bid. And then they're left kind of feeling like, eh, that really didn't feel good. And so then they both leave saying, all right, well, uh, I guess that was a conversation where look at that, where if the person putting out the emotional bid is heard, empathized, and validated by the person receiving the information, then they're going to feel better about knowing what this person's saying or talking about. They're asking more questions. They're doing a really productive um, job of, uh, of communicating and listening and active listening, not re- just reflective listening, but actively listening. Now they know more about the person. The person feels validated. And now they probably have more of an idea of things that they can share that make that conversation productive, which then leaves them feeling better about the conversation as well. And then both people leave feeling like, all right, we're more connected. We didn't just like, swap stories and then leave each other kind of feeling a little bit hollow because we didn't really connect on anything, but we feel more connected. So, all right, I believe I am rambling now, so I'm going to let you go. But uh, but what kind of listener are you? Um, take a little look today and see if you are what, what, if you can um, listen with empathy and understanding, asking more questions, uh, avoiding that 80% of those nonverbal cues that might tell somebody that you know you're not really paying attention, and uh, and just keep this in your heart today to seek first to understand before being understood. All right. Hey, thanks for joining me today on the virtual couch. I'm grateful that you allowed me to get this out there today. Uh, this is one of those uh, kind of passion topics I love to talk about um, listening. And uh, I will see you next time on the virtual couch. And taking us out as per usual, as per always, is the wonderful, the talented, the former guest of the virtual couch, Aurora Florence with It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the day Explain.